Does this ever happen to you? And I'm sure it does. But this week, I had to really take a second and think about the storage space on me on my PS5. And I looked at it and I was like, I just don't think I'm ever going to come back to you near replicant. <laughs> like not, not specifically about near replicant. I know you are a fan. I liked it too, for the record. Uh, it's just that thinking about like, okay, I'm going to do another playthrough. And then from everything, from all the conversations you and I have had, like it might not be super worth it. Yeah. Um, YouTube, YouTube it. There's a video out there unless you're going for the platinum too. Not worth it. Sure. Right. Right. So I guess like I had this moment where I was like looking at it and like I would I wouldn't mind getting back to this game, but it's just not in the cards right now. I'm sorry. It has to go. Yeah. Yeah. That that recently happened with cyberpunk for me um, mm. because I was I I didn't play that game right because the entire game I didn't I didn't spend any of my upgrade points because I was waiting because there's a couple trophies that you have to like specifically spec for. So I was yeah. going to just get all the points so I could save scum it and then do those things. Uh, and then there was a point when I was like doing like a stupid side mission that I had to do to platinum it. And I was like, no, no, this isn't no. <laughs> and I think yeah. it crashed like maybe for like the, the 60th time um, as I was just like traveling through the city. And I was like, you know, this would be a good point to never come back to this game. Um, and it was like 140 gigs of memory. It seemed to be. It's on a my big hard one. Drive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have this information up front because I didn't know we were necessarily going to talk about cyberpunk. Do you see it's on there's back on the PlayStation store? I know they said they are what satisfied with it. Like that is like the most like un unenthusiastic <laughs> way there's, to say the game is running. Like you can run it. There's like a notice though that says like this is not. I'm like if you were buying it on a PlayStation Four, it's like this is not the way to play this game. You should be playing it on a PS4 Pro or PS5. But even then, I mean, so I played it on the Xbox Series X, and I think just pound for pound, the Series X is like more powerful in terms of like processing power and stuff than the PS5. Uh, not that it's a competition although many people would like to make you think that it is but the p is the ps5 version like fixed because i know you had said like yo this crashes a lot where i, I only ever experienced one crash do you know if it's like still crashing as much like that as of when i start like officially deleted off my hard drive i think they came out with a patch recently um i like just played around just a little bit like as of mm -hmm. that time and it did the same thing when it was going to another, another like environment in the city driving around and it just like crashed. And I was like, OK, not good. Not didn't fix my problems with the game. No. Maybe, and that's the thing. Maybe my junk wasn't hanging out of my pants or whatever, but like I still crashed. So um, I think the bigger problem is the crash than the, they the just, junk. They should have just leaned into that and been like, yeah, it's new cyber pants. <laughs> that's the new style. <laughs> it just changed but. the name of the game to cyber pants 2077. <laughs> No, dude, Cyber Junk 2077. It's Hitbox! <laughs> Welcome back! to hitbox episode number 48 um you know we've talked a lot about cyberpunk and i think it's interesting because at, like at the end of the day it was not a very good it was a fine like serviceable game but not like mind-blowing in the way that like a lot of people maybe expected it to be uh but like i think it's almost more interesting to talk about than to actually play which is why i think we oh, talk about absolutely. it so frequently on this show because yeah. i like i don't know i didn't love it did you like love it 
it was fine. It was like a worse version of Fallout for me. Um, yeah. Because uh, I really liked the Fallout 3, Fallout 4. Um, but I uh, cannot say I, I would recommend um, Cyberpunk in the same way uh, that I would those games. I mean, it was it's a fine one of those games. It's just not as enjoyable because i guess i like the world and the lore and the things a little bit better um yeah. in fallout which um is unfortunate for cyberpunk because i believe there's more source material <laughs> to my understanding there is my name is peter hunt spitek and with me as always is my wonderful co-host justin makovich now before we get into our episode uh you might hear some background noise from both of us although we are not in the same room together uh for many reasons uh, I made it sound like it was personal. Uh, it's not, we just, it's <laughs> yeah, just, it's just easier this way. Yeah. And um, there was like a virus. We're both vaccinated, but it doesn't it's not important. Um, there is quite the storm raging through our little suburb of Chicago right now. In fact, such a storm um, on Sunday night going into Monday turned into like a horrible tornado that like wiped out a lot of our our town. It's, it's actually quite sad, um, but we're both safe. But there might be some. Uh, as you may have just heard right now, some pretty loud thunder as I assume it's about to just start pouring. Yeah, and just a just a quick note on this tornado thing. Um, when like this all started, like I I on my phone have like the emergency alarms turned off because I think I was at a, like a, a testing center one time and I didn't want it to go off in the middle of the test, so mm. I would spoil the test, so I just turned it off. Um, but my girlfriend's was on, thankfully, because hers went on uh, and it started like beeping. And then my dog got unsettled, and then um, I had to wake my girlfriend up because she was sleeping because it was like eleven fifteen at night. And it, like, legitimately, it was like one of the scarier moments that I yeah. can remember of weather. Um, like the sky turned completely pitch black, and there was like green flashes everywhere. Um, and it it made me realize that I should take these uh, tornado warnings or any kind of weather warning pretty seriously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. It is no joke. I mean, like my neighborhood, we, we we have like trees uprooted and like a lot of damage from that sort of stuff. But just down the street from us, there's like houses where like all the windows blew out and stuff. So, hey, this is a PSA. It's all you video game enthusiasts. Uh, tornadoes are no joke. <laughs> it's, no, yeah. it's, it's bad. Uh, uh, there, there was also a bunch of uh, tornadoes in like Bloomington. Uh, Illinois, and uh, I saw a restaurant uh, put out a a friendly reminder about the difference between a tornado warning and a tornado uh, watch. So they used tacos for reference, and they said a tornado okay. watch, and they showed a picture of like all the different components of a taco. Like you got mm-hmm. the shell, you got a tomato, you got your meat, you got your your cheese, your lettuce, all that stuff. It was all like laid out. So they're like, this is a tornado uh, watch. Like you could use all this stuff to make a, ta- a taco. Sure. And then they showed a tornado warning, and it was just a taco. And they're like, "Look, there is a taco. We've seen it. It's happening. It's not a joke. Like it's happens here. Like watch right. out for the taco." That is that's an excellent, an excellent little metric there. But enough about hyper specific news about DuPage County. Uh, let's talk about video games, Justin. I assume you've been playing video games. I've been playing. I'll be honest, a little less. I've been I've been worried because our power has been sort of going in and out. So I have instead of keeping my my consoles in like rest mode, I've had them like just straight up turned off when i'm not using them just for fear of i don't know i had a friend who's who had like a power surge and his ps4 like bricked itself like two months ago Ah. so i don't want uh, i'm trying not to have that happen to the ps5 that i labored so hard to get so i've not been playing a lot of games as a result but justin i want to hear about the games you've been playing 
Uh, so actually, during the tornado, I, I was playing Judgment, <laughs> so I had to <laughs> replay a couple of minutes because it didn't save automatically. But sure, um, the, as as expected, the uh, Judgment story has like kind of like turned into this like really interesting crime epic. Like what started as rescue, like uh, ha- getting someone off of a murder case. Um, has turned into this crazy conspiracy about drug companies and the government trying to like uh, create an Alzheimer's cure that they're basically profiting off of and like the acute the the yakuza are involved somehow. There's hmm. legitimately a, a a moment when they're talking about the plot when it's like a PowerPoint presentation. Like the screen has like it's like a it's like a colored background and like concentric circles describing to you what Alzheimer's is. Oh. <laughs> like like spent a lot of time just like going through it which to to me like I Alzheimer's is something that's like in my family and I'm like very connected to. Uh so like for me I know this stuff but then I'm like yeah if they're talking about Alzheimer's it's probably pretty important to to set this whole thing up but I was just laughing cuz it was legitimately like a PowerPoint thing. Um, but yeah, to, to me, I think, uh, as I'm going through this game, I'm about 20 hours in, I'm in chapter nine of 12, so I'm almost done with it. Um, I just think the, what they did with, with, uh, like a dragon is awesome. And I really Mm -hmm. feel like that combat and that like goofiness that they played up, it's like in judgment, but it's not like the same kind of focus. Like it just, you don't, the story is almost way more serious in judgment than it is in, in um, like a dragon. So when you have a side quest, uh, when you have to like catch a person's wig, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But it's, it's still fun enough. And if you can get it um, uh, on, on, you know, on a a sale or something like that, or maybe eventually it'll go on game pass. um, The story itself has, has grabbed me, but the, the combat has not. So unfortunate. Cause that's like, 70 a lot of, of the game, game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you know it's interesting it it's interesting that that's not actually on game pass because like the rest of the yakuza games are they just you know like a dragon just got on there and, and all that sort of stuff so it's interesting that judgment isn't i'm curious if that's has something to do with like licensing or or whatever because it's in the like the universe right it's like a it's just a spin-off game yeah, yeah, like, it, you're still, like, dealing with Yakuza members and stuff like that. You don't have to have the prior knowledge of the other games. At least that, mm-hmm. as far as I know, none of these characters are connected over. But you would think that with Judgment 2 coming out uh, later this year, that might be a good place to get more people to play it. But yeah. perhaps that might come a month or so before it, it gets released. But I think the last the last thing I'd recommend for someone is to play Judgment and then immediately go to Judgment 2, because I'm assuming the games aren't going to be that drastically different from each other. It is uh, it is exactly what I've been experiencing with Mass Effect. I've sort of slowed on my progression there in favor of other games right now. But like, oh boy, wrap up, if, if I wrap up the second one soon, like Mass Effect 3 is waiting for me. <laughs> Not that they're bad. It's just like a lot of the same flavor, you know, and, and, you know, they change yeah, from yeah, game yeah. to game. But uh, uh, it, there's like slight combat differences. But I think yeah. if, you, if you're experiencing that jumping from one to two, two to three, they're even more in line with each other with right. a lot of the similar things. So, yeah, uh, there's only there, there's so much of good that you can have. And um, I think my choice to separate out the um, Mass Effect collection has been a good one for me, um, mm-hmm. just so I don't get tired of such an awesome game. I I totally get it. I totally get it. Can I talk about Operation Tango a little bit? Yeah, please. So, first of all, if I mess up and I call it Operation Tango Drop, I'm sorry. I don't know why that's in my brain. Is that a movie? Uh, I don't think so. 
But Tango Drop or Operation Something Drop is like something for sure. So I apologize. There's Operation I... Dumbo Drop uh, when they have an, an elephant that they drop into like definitely... a war zone or something like that. Not what I'm thinking about. <laughs> okay, okay. But, okay, um, but Operation Tango Sands Drop um, is it's one of the free. It is the free PS5 game uh, this month. And it is an asymmetric multiplayer game where one it's both people are playing as spies and you are playing. Uh, this is not a split screen game. This is an online only game. Um, both people are playing as spies and one person is a hacker who is like disabling lasers and unlocking doors and and like activating elevators. And the other person is an agent who is um, in the field, you know, uh, assuming other people's identities and going and hacking into terminals and stuff like that. And uh, it's a fun little indie game that I've been playing with Elena, who now has my PS4. And so we are beginning to play games together, um, namely Operation Tango Drop. And you said you haven't played it, right? No, I haven't. Um, I, I I tried to set it up to see if it would work. And by mm-hmm. the way, if if as we talk about this, all you need is one PS Plus account. Um, yes. And I was able, because I was able to download it on my PS4 and my PS5 and was able to play with myself, which sounds odd, but I was able to and in, 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 uh, at least testing out the technology. But I haven't actually like gone through and done anything other than setting it up to know that I could. Gotcha. And what's cool about it, too, is um, I think It Takes Two is the same way, which I'm also working on wrapping up with Elena. Uh, you only need one copy of it to play with someone online. So Elena didn't have to buy Operation Tango. She just was she you download like the demo and then you just like sign in through a game but um i was really looking forward to this because i love an asymmetric multiplayer game and i love i love like the idea of like spies and like having a a guy in the chair who's like hacking in and you know like opening stuff up i'm a fan of like the mission impossible movies not necessarily because they're great movies but they're just they're fun you know they're fun or like uh, oceans 11 like it's fun stuff and, I just thought of uh, Tom Cruise running with all of his life in his arms, like like all those Tom Tom Cruise running memes. Yeah, he does that, and then he, uh, he broke his foot. You see this video? I mean, I, I think it's in the movie. Yeah. He break, he breaks the fuck out of his foot. <laughs> like it's the kind of thing where like watching it, you're like, ooh, irrelevant. Um, yeah, did, didn't he break uh, his foot kicking like an orc helmet, and then they just kept that shotting because it was so real? Yeah, did you know there's this other part in Mission Impossible where uh, one of the Urukai throws a knife at Tom Cruise and he deflects it and he didn't know it was going to be happening. It was actually a real knife, and so they just kept it in. Or there's this other part in uh, what is it called? Mission Impossible, Mission, yeah, Mission yeah, Impossible uh, uh, Two, where I think we're talking about something else. Anyway, Operation Tango drop, or excuse me, Operation Tango. Uh, I love the premise. It's a fine game. It's like I would give it like a six. Um, so much of it is like devoted to not fun stuff. It, mm. It's like two thirds of it is the not fun, like hacking mini games. And then a third of it is like actually cool. It, one third of it is living up to the premise of like having someone like infiltrating like a building and having another person being like, all right. And now I'm going to turn on the fire alarm. So like everyone leaves, mm. you know what I mean? Or like stuff yeah. like that. I mean, that doesn't happen exactly in the game, but similar things and and it's just like so much of it is sort of obtuse hacking and um what's kind of cool though is like each person can't see what the other person is seeing so like 
Elena, she, she's been playing the hacker where she can sort of see me if she can get like a video feed, like video cameras, but otherwise I have to describe what's going on. It's like, Oh, I've got a door that needs unlock unlocking. And so she'll be like, okay, let me hack into, um, the door systems. Like, okay, they should all be unlocked right now. So it's kind of cool. Uh, it just is not, it doesn't live up to its premise. I think very well. Have you ever uh, played or heard of the game, uh, the VR game? I think it's a VR game, but I guess you don't need to have it on VR. Keep talking and no one explodes. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, ha- I have is that. Is this, is, this, is this like similar to that kind of vibe or is it like, is there something? Because I, I thought that game was kind of fun and it might have just mm-hmm. been the novelty of like doing all the different parts together. Um but basically with that game, for, for those of you who haven't played it before, there'll be like one person who is like in a VR headset or at the game, they'll be like trying to defuse a bomb that only they see. And then someone else or a couple other people will have like instruction manuals and each manual will have a part of the bomb defusal process in there. So you have to try to like defuse the bomb while like communicating with each other in both virtual reality and in like real life with the stuff you printed out or on your phone, uh- I guess. Actually, it's interesting. We Elaine and I talked about that game because we played that before. We were actually dating, um, and we played it at my buddy Josh's house. And that game is, I think, a better version of this one because mm-hmm. in that game, it is very easy to describe what you're looking at. The challenge of the game is the communication uh, of to keep talking and nobody explodes is the communication about saying like, Okay, I'm looking at it kind of looks like a battery and it's got two wires going through it. And then the person's like, okay, I got it. And they flip over and they go, what color are the wires? And they're like, uh, one's green, one's yellow. Okay, well, are they are any of them black? You know what I mean? Like that sort of stuff is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Operation Tango, uh, Operation Tango does not it, it's not easy to describe what's going on. It's not easy to describe like, okay, I've got like a tic-tac-toe board and four X's and three O's. Like, it's just hard to say like I'm looking at like a graph and there's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not, um, it, it is not as accessible. And because Elena is something of a growing gamer, as we might say, uh, it is not super easy for her. And I would even argue that like, if you and I played it, it might not be super easy just for the simple fact of like, it's hard to describe what you're looking at sometimes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so this game would definitely not be for Claire and me because uh, we, we've been dating for uh, almost six years at this point. And one of our first like conversations that we, we had um, in the courting process uh, was I was trying to describe to her what butterbeer tasted like, which mm. resulted in like an hour and a half of just confusion. So yeah. I can imagine trying to describe something I'm seeing to her. <laughs> <laughs> and like <laughs> and it not be the kind of game that we would enjoy playing together because of that uh mostly because my language skills sometimes suffer um <laughs> from uh being able to describe things and, and and like what's what's tricky is like it's not even with keep talking and no one explodes when that conversation lapse happens like it's still sort of fun because like ah oh, man the bomb exploded whereas in this one it's yeah, just yeah. like what do you see on your screen? <laughs> like, and that's not a fun uh, <laughs> environment for anyone. Um, but yeah, it's free. I like it's free for us because it's on, you know, PS plus. So at the end of the day, I'm not too broken up about it. Uh, we're probably going to finish it just cause it is like at the, there is fun to be had out of it. It just sucks that it is bogged down by so much. Um, yeah, less than ideal stuff. But so I also see here that you are playing Monster Hunter Stories 2. That w- was that the one that they talked about at E3? 
Yeah, so they talked about E3. It's not out yet. Um, I don't exactly know when it's coming out. They released a di- trial demo, um, which is in the. For, by the way, any person who does a JRPG, follow this model, please, for the love of God. When you allow people to play the first five to eight hours of the game, and then yeah. you can carry your progress Keep over progress. when they actually uh, release it. Um, I just think it's so helpful for for people to like not only get excited for the game, but kind of understand the game a little bit better before they play it. Um, So uh, the, the demo itself is starts in the very beginning. And I would have thought this game would have been like right up my alley, but there are a couple things that I think keeps it from doing that. And I think the combat system is unique and interesting. I just don't know long term through an entire 40 hour JRPG uh, type of uh, campaign how it's going to grab me. Mm-hmm. Essentially, um, you uh, you can have party members that are either uh, people that are friends of yours or monsters that you found and hatched. They call them monsties in the game, which sounds just wrong. Um, yes. You got to ride around <laughs> your little monstie. Um, but um, the uh, the combat, basically, you're only controlling your character and everything else is kind of just auto done. And the the core of the combat system is like a rock, paper, scissors. They have a power attack. They have technical attacks. And then they have speed attacks. And power beats technical. Technical beats speed. Speed beats power. So it's kind of like that three-tier rock, paper, scissors type of, of combat. So you'll maybe like run into a character or a, a, an enemy and you don't know what type of attacks that enemy does. So you have to kind of like either use your knowledge from times that you faced it before or just kind of trial and error to find out what kind of attacks that that enemy uses. And then you have to counter by using the appropriate counter move. So if mm-hmm. they're a speed character, you got to make sure that you're using technical attacks and stuff. So when you start the battle, it's kind of it's interesting in the way that you have to think more than just look at the numbers on the screen. You have to be like, all right, this is a Rathalos. This is a, a technical kind of attacker. I have to make sure I, I spec myself to have technical things. But because you only control your own character, it's very frustrating because it's almost like you have to plan your your party before you attack every enemy you encounter. Um, and I don't feel like I ever really control the combat other than what I'm doing to myself and I've probably played it only like two and a half hours so far, so I'm not like super far in it. I just don't see this combat system getting um, more engaging, I guess, so yeah. to speak. And I think like most monster hunters, the combat is in itself pretty basic, but it's like, you know, getting the proper upgrades to your armor and hunting the right monsters and stuff that's really going to to make it uh, better. Um, but the story itself, like I, I'm, I'm usually like when, when I'm playing these games, I love the epic anime cutscenes when you have yeah. like these crazy things happening and all these characters like jumping at each other and doing all this stuff. Like uh, the the perfect JRPG for me is like you're playing for an hour and a half and there's a 20 minute cutscene. Love that. I'll dig. I dig that every day. This one doesn't necessarily feel like that. It and I I don't want to. I only playing the trial demo, which is the beginning of the game. Everything just seems a little cheaper. Um, and it doesn't seem as like high quality polish. Like even the the actual cutscenes, this might be something that they do on purpose. It looks like the it, it's like skipping frames. It like doesn't move mm. smoothly and everything. And um, I don't know. I'm still gonna get to the end of the demo to see 
but unfortunately, I, I just don't know if this is going to be the thing that uh, that gets me stuck um, and it's the thing that I want to pursue playing a full 40-hour yeah. campaign with. Um, you, is this on so, the Switch? Yeah, it's on the Switch. So I, I suggest before it comes out, um, uh, according to the internet, it comes out July 9th which is plenty of time to at least try it out. I suggest trying it out and just see if it's if, if it's what you like. If you like Monster Hunter, I think you'll like this game a lot because a lot of the same trappings are there except the combat is not action. It's more turn-based. Mm-hmm. However, um, I did play another demo this week to a game that just came out, um, and that game was Scarlet Nexus. Peter, have you played Scarlet Nexus? I have played Scarlet Nexus. I purchased Scarlet Nexus because it was one of my, and is one of my most anticipated games of 2021. So I put about an hour and a half into it. I It came on Saturday, so I haven't had like a whole lot of time to really sink my teeth into it. Um, I want to ask you about the demo, because you said you're just doing the demo, right? Yeah, so far what? just on the demo, um, and I, it, it was <laughs> uh, when I started playing the demo on the twenty fourth, and it was supposed to come out the twenty fourth or twenty fifth. It seemed like twenty um, ninth. The internet was saying or, that, no. The, Today's the twenty eighth, so I'm wrong. Twenty fifth, twenty fifth. You're right. You're right. Um, so it's supposed to come out the twenty fifth. So I was playing on the twenty fourth, and I could have like played it that, like bought it the full version that night and played it. So I was kind of seeing if I wanted to because I was going to. Um, and the the demo itself scared me a little bit from wanting to buy the game right away. But after reading reviews and seeing more gameplay of it, I don't know if that's going to be the case. And the reason being is that in the demo, the story was not the focus of that demo. The mm-hmm. demo's focus was to get you used to the combat system. Yeah. And the combat system is is it's fine. Um, it's more of an actiony uh, JRPG type of game. I don't really think there are, there might be some RPG elements, but it's basically an action game, action adventure game. You're going around, you're slashing the, the sword, you're uh, attacking enemies. Um, to me, to me, it's a very it's very much like near replicant, uh, not replicant, uh, automata, where you have like different plugins yeah, and it, like it, doing combat abilities and stuff like that. Yeah, it definitely has that kind of feel to it. Uh, and I think I was turned off a little bit at first because I think one of the weird things I love about Nier is just the feel of like the jumping and the dashing and the moving. Yeah, um, I, lo- I love my two-finger trigger attack. So the, the focus is a lot on the combat, and you basically play these, like I guess, almost like superheroes who have these different abilities. Uh, they're mm-hmm. like It's a world where everyone has superpowers, it seems. Um, and you're, you have a choice of a character. There's a girl and a guy character. I don't know their names necessarily. Yeah, I, I have, I've only demoed it. Do you know their names? So there's, um, Yauti, Yauti, uh, mm-hmm. Yauti, which is the guy. And then, uh, is Hanabi the girl or is Hanabi a different girl? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll trust. I picked, I'll trust I your, picked your... the guy because I looked it up because I was like, is this like, is this just choosing your gender or is this like a thing? And it is a thing. And they are two intersecting storylines. So like, yeah. Who did you choose? Yeah. Totally. I, I, for the, no, for the demo, I, uh, for the demo, I chose the guy too. Um, and my, my thought process was, um, I would try out one character and then try out the other character in the actual game when I played it. So probably yeah. play with the, the girl character for the full version. But, um, 
So the demo, you can pick your character. The first one is a very kind of like, just like this is the basics of the combat. You don't really get a big cutscenes or anything. You just get used to what it's like to, to fight. And then they like drop you ahead to when you already have a full party. So I had like four party members or whatever that I could switch out. And they just mm-hmm. kind of have you do a mission. And I, I, the, the cutscenes themselves were all like weird. Like they do this. Some people say it saves the budget. I'm going to call it a stylistic choice when it's like <laughs> an, an action comic, right? Of a character yeah. talking. So there's all these characters and I'm like, I don't know who the heck any of you are. And they're, they're just showing me their faces. And I was like very like turned off by that because I was just like, I wish I knew these people a little bit more. I wish I got into the story. But again, the demo was probably just focused on combat. And the combat by the end of it, I kind of got, I, I kind of dug. Um, your character, I think, whether you're the girl or the boy, has uh, telekinesis. Yes, and it's Yuito and Kasane. I think those are exactly what you said before. Check the tape. Uh, definitely not. I was, one, I was like, I looked it up and was like, ah, oh, I'm going to look like an idiot. Anyway, go on. So yes, they have telekinesis, telekinetic abilities, if you will. Yeah, so, so they have telekinetic ability, but what makes it kind of cool and interesting is that your party members, you can't control them, but you can control when to activate their powers, which helps supplement yeah. your own. Uh, like, I had one of my friends was a fire person, so when I activated her powers, I got fire attacks. Uh, another one um, was able to find invisible enemies whenever you uh, highlighted them. The other one mm-hmm. allowed you to teleport. The other one allowed you to um, kind of withstand heavy attacks and stuff. And each of those different powers has like a cooldown. Uh, so if you just let it run, you'll constantly have that power till it runs off, or you can activate them and not activate them. So the combat itself was pretty fun because you're doing a lot of like movement with your um, party members, your telekinetic abilities, and then your like slashing abilities. And it's pretty seamless to go from like, like attacking someone uh, with a sword to kind of jumping back, throwing a, a bus at them, and then jumping back in and hitting them with your sword. And it's like really frenetic and really fun. Um, so the the combat did interest me. And um, what any what any good JRPG, not JRPG, uh, action Japanese action game will kind of do is they have a skill tree. So I was looking at the skill tree, and I saw my favorite thing in that skill tree double dash and i was like yeah there's a double dash in this skill tree is it gonna be a good game guys uh so um i'm kind of sold on the combat the story mm-hmm. thing was making me unsure about it but then once the reviews were coming out and people were talking about the story um and how they said that there are like moments like they the i forget one of the reviews i was looking at was talking about it's almost like mass effect after each mission when you get to talk to your party members and like yeah. court them and date them and all that stuff and i was like okay fine i guess this is what i want to play um but so tell me what your experience was actually playing the game from start to finish because if you ask me to tell you what the story is i couldn't I could yeah, not help. <laughs> so I, I picked Yuito, the guy, and um, so let, let me just say that, like, I, I think I really like the combat. It's really flashy. It's very, um, I think it's really satisfying. You fight a boss in your first mission, at, spoilers, I guess, uh, and it is very, like, it's very satisfying. Um, so the story is, you play as, at least the story that I've experienced so far it, with the Yuito, like, campaign is you play as this guy who is volunteering for he like signed up to be a part of the army they're called the osf which is called like the other suppression force and basically every so often these like horrifying demons called the other which are just like a mashup of like human 
body parts essentially and um and like mundane items so there's like this flower vase with like <laughs> human legs and it's like really unsettling to look at but it's kind of cool and what i like about it too is that like um i think this is the type of game that could very easily be like m in terms of like being like really graphic and and whatever with these like demons but it's rated t and i still think that they're pretty like they're kind of spooky they're not like the kind of thing that's keeping me up at night but it's definitely not like a very like um they are still impactful despite not being able to go, like delve into like the horrific and, and whatever. Um, so you play as Yuito or ha- Kasane, not played her yet. Uh, and basically you uh, just graduated from the OSF and there are different types of members of the OSF. There are people who volunteer, which is what you are, where you basically sign up. There are people who are scouted, who basically the OSF says, Hey, you seem like you have a really good handle on your powers and whatever. We would love for you to be sort of part of the army. And then there are people who like come to it later called adults who like are just older members of Wait, the crew. Adults. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I say <laughs> the, I, so far the story has just been fine. I've again, only played like an hour of it where it's like, I went on a mission. I graduated from school. Um, you are the son of like a high ranking politician um, or something like that. And it's very, the, mm, the writing is not very good. And equally, some of the voice acting is also not very good. So like, you'll have lines like, yeah, that's our president. Remember? And it's like, he wouldn't need to, that's not how it, I get it. It's exposition, but there's maybe a better way to do it. Um, there's also in between each mission, you get about a hundred text messages. Cause I think they played persona and they thought that the worst part of that game would be a good thing to put into the game. Um, <laughs> where you just get text messages about things that just happened, like about conversations you've already just had. Um, so, so far I think it's fine. I don't love it, but I like the combat enough. And I think the main character is interesting enough so far. I will say that a big turnoff for me is the way that the story is presented. As you sort of mentioned, a lot of it comes across with these like still images um, and like text. And like, that's not bad necessarily because it's like a budget thing. It's also like a style thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't draw me in at all. Like there's no, there's not like a lot of animation in between like gameplay, which again is fine if it's just a lot of conversations, but, uh, it is not maybe super engaging for me. Yeah. I, I find it's, it's hard for me personally to read like a graphic novel. Like I just Mm -hmm. don't have the focus for it. I think I've talked about this before. Um, I mean, I, I love, I love the idea. I, I've, I've read, I've read multiple them, but like for me to focus on, lines and a character and seeing what's happening i just can't do that in this and that's exactly the kind of vibes i get with this and it was hard for me to make character connections because even if it's simple like and i know this is like uh maybe not the ideal way but even having a character just talk in engine and me having the camera on that character makes it makes me connect with that more than just seeing their face and like a weird still that I'm trying yeah. to like read the text and like going, it's just it it's just hard for me. I, I I don't get connected to that, and I've I've found that in almost every case when I played um, uh, a Japanese action or J- a JRPG game, the ones that grab me in the first hour are the ones that I love. Like yeah. if their story can't grab me in the first hour, 
like I don't have hope for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I think that's so important. If I had to guess as to why it is not like there's not any sort of like animation or whatever for cutscenes, I would probably say it's because. Um, so I, I don't know if this was a pre-order bonus or if this just came with buying the game. Um, I got two months of Funimation Plus, which is cool because I've been watching a lot of anime with Elena. We're wrapping up uh, Attack on Titan, and then we're also we're watching Fruits Basket, which I know you're not really an anime guy. Um, Excuse me, My Hero Academia. Watch it now. Okay, is it is it good? Well, who are, who are you? Wait, oh, My Hero Academia is so good. <laughs> oh, I, I've been good? watching. Okay. It. I, it's like the I, the anime I watch every week when it gets in, like the second it gets like like released. I love it. And okay, I love cool, it so cool. much that I don't even wait for the dub to get out. Oh, look at you. Yeah. Um, irrelevant. Uh, Toru Honda, the, the main <laughs> character of of uh, Fruits Basket, she is, her dub is good old Laura Bailey. Um, not oh. irrelevant to this conversation. So I got two, two months of uh, Funimation Plus because... I don't know when this is releasing, but alongside the release of Scarlet Nexus, the video game, there's also Scarlet Nexus, Scarlet Nexus, the anime that's coming out. So at the beginning of the game, when you get the title sequence for Scarlet Nexus, I assume that they show you because they show you just straight up an anime intro. I assume it's just the anime intro that they're going to use in the show. So part of my cynical brain is like, well, they don't want to put animation into this because they want people to watch the show to sort of like fill those pieces in but at the at the end of the day i'm also kind of like i think the game would probably be better if you if they had that sort of stuff in there there's probably also other reasons why it's not in there i'm not saying like i'm not like that cynical about it i don't know if i actually entirely believe that but i just think it's something that sort of came up um when i was playing it but i think it's i think the story's okay (laughs) Like the the voice acting is leaving a lot to be desired, and like the dialogue is leaving a lot to be desired. But it's not a deal breaker for me because the combat is flashy and good enough, and I can sort of see. Again, I'm still super early. I can sort of see where the story might be going, and it's in a world that I think is really interesting, and like I think it's kind of cool. So at the end of the day, if you didn't get like super grabbed by the demo, then I don't know if you're gonna get like entirely grabbed by this, but. I mean, I was grabbed enough by the combat to play it, um, and I and, and to myself, I'm, I'm like, I, I hate the judgment combat, and that's most of the game, and I'm only playing it to beat the story. <laughs> like, so yeah. I also I'll still probably check it out, but I do have to say that buying it the second after I play the demo was not, I was mm-hmm. not sold after the demo to buy it immediately. I, um, as I said, this was one of my like most anticipated games this year because I watched a trailer for it in January, at, like hot off the heels of Persona Five, and I was like, "This looks dope." And I think I was also playing Final Fantasy VII Remake as well. It's like, "This looks dope." Uh, I can't wait for this. And then I just didn't do any research on it, <laughs> like at all. So I've just been <laughs> waiting for it to come out. Um, and and like again, I don't dislike it. In fact, I do like it, but definitely not like a game of the year contender for me already, unless, unless it turns around and is like something super dope, but you know, we'll see. We'll have to see. I'm just saying, Peter, uh, I, I, I know it came out like three years ago, maybe longer ago. Xenoblade Chronicles two play it today. I, uh, today. What am I, what do I got going on? Well, let's yeah, see. No, forget everything. Forget everything else, you know, and forget just all uh, the games that are about to come out, forget your backlog, 
Just go yeah. out, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, buy it, play it. It only gets confusing at the very end, but I don't I'm think good. that has anything to do with the first Xenoblade Chronicles. It just, it gets, they have to end the story. So then you're kind of like, oh, okay, but. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, it's Scarlet Nexus. I'm going to, you'll hear about that more next week too. And for a few weeks, because yeah, it's going to take I'll, me a minute pro- to get through. We'll but. see if I beat Judgment, but. Um, so uh, looking at the Metacritic for Scarlet Nexus 2, in case you guys care about that. Um, the critics are giving it an 80 on it, so, you know, 8 out of 10, not bad. And the user average is an 8.1, also yeah. not a bad score. So the, they're kind of hanging out basically. in the 8 range. My suggestion to you, New Replicant first, then play Scarlet Nexus, if you really loved it. I would say Near Automata first, Near Replicant second, Scarlet Nexus third. <laughs> I would, I would. True, true. true that but I'm thinking about all, all the people who have, who are just like screw backlogs. I want to spend something sixty dollars day mm, one. I see, I see, I see. This year, yeah, yeah. Near, for near for all of you want to talk about game of the year at the end of the year, yeah, yeah. I agree, I agree. Speaking of Metacritic, uh, did you uh, have you seen anything about this uh, Mario Golf Super Rush game? Justin, yes, I have. I am baffled by this game because. People are losing their freaking gourd over this video game. And I don't know why necessarily. Maybe it's because I'm not really a sports guy. And also it's maybe because it's not, I'm not like a really big Mario guy. So like together it doesn't really like grab me super right. But people are very excited, have been, and now that it's released, are very excited and happy with Mario Golf Time 2. What is it called? It's Mario Golf Super Rush. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got I do it. think eventually Mario Golf Time 2, Luigi's Revenge, that'll probably be right, right. the next one. Um, yeah, I like I'm happy that people are excited for this game that I have that's like literally not on my radar, so far away from my radar that it's like on another continent. Are is it good? <laughs> what do the critics say? <laughs> I'm not gonna play it because I don't really care about golf but so uh i i am one of these people who had no interest in the game then i watched the nintendo treehouse and i was like actually maybe this game could be pretty fun um and for the first time after watching that treehouse i was like i'm probably gonna buy this game um and then the ign review came out and the ign review was 6.0 i believe according to the ign scale that is just okay. Not a bad review. 6.0. Uh-uh. It's just okay. Um, the Metacritic scores for it are a 75 for the critics and a 6.6 for the users. And I always like when I when I look at that disparity the the disparity between the critic and the user review is like one. Like there's some some kind of conversation that has to go with that, right? Like yeah. why why do the users not like it why are the critics just fine with it and why did ign give it a six and does that even matter um and i think part of this has to do with people call it like the nintendo roundup factor i do think traditionally nintendo fans are forgiving about certain things in their games because sure they just love nintendo things right um, Breath of the Wild, a lot of people would like argue that that game is not a 10 out of the 10. The combat's not perfect. The weapon degradation sucks, blah, blah, blah. There's no way that's a game's a 10. I disagree with that. I think that game's awesome. I think that game's amazing. That game's yeah, great. I agree. But people like 
always push back against Nintendo that so many of these Nintendo fanboys just want to play Nintendo games and they love it and they forgive it for all of its mistakes because Mario's on the cover. Um, but when I'm looking at these scores, it seems like that Mario tax is no longer <laughs> helping Mario Golf in this moment. Um, and if any of you like go out there and you want to read uh, the IGN review, um, it was done by, what's his face? His name is... His name's not Super Rush. Uh, his name is Simon uh, Cardi. Cardi. Simon Cardi. I will put it in the episode description if you okay. are interested yeah. in reading it. So if, if you want to, I'm just going to read what his kind of verdict is. And you tell me if you think this is unrealistic that this is what he says and he gives it a six. Mario Golf Super Rush is a comfort food game that, to some, like me, can take you to a happy place with a couple of taps of the same button followed by an exclamation of, Nice shot! Its standout speed golf mode is a great twist on Mario Golf and a genuinely fun way to play that goes a fair way to spicing up an age-old formula by filling the space between swings uh, with a mindful foot race to the next one. Though even if that mode is a tidy birdie, I don't I tidy birdie, is that a thing? Birdie is, is a <clears throat> birdie is a golf thing. Though, Though even if that mode is a tidy birdie, sadly, there are just too many bogeys elsewhere in Super Rush in the form of a poor adventure mode, a slight selection of courses, low replayability, and just a general lack of things to do after you've burnt through its content once that make for an unsuccessful round. Arcade golf games like this are made to be played with friends for a long time, but there just doesn't feel like enough variety on other... Uh, on offer here to make me want to without that longevity i just can't play super rush in the category of a top tier mario golf game that's fair i get it <laughs> yeah all right and i i think that's what one thing that like with a review score like i i did the same thing myself when i saw the six i was like i guess i shouldn't get this game but then you read it and like Definitely there are good things about this. The speed golf looks fun. Um, the actual just like moment to moment clicking gameplay is fun, but it just doesn't have like the depth for you to keep coming back and wanting to play. Um, and he, the God only knows what Nintendo's online system is like, but I'm sure it's not <laughs> the easiest thing in the world to try to right. get your friends together and everything. Um, and that also goes with like the Mario Golf games for the Game Boy Advance uh, and for the 3DS were some of the like most loved, beloved Mario sports games ever. Gotcha. Um, like to me, it seems like he's coming from a fan's perspective and being like, this game isn't as good as the other ones. That makes sense to me. Yeah. From what you read, like it just sounds like he's said, you know, it's fun moment to moment. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know if I'm going to play this for hours and hours and hours and hours. Right. Like, I'm sure if I buy this game, I would love it because I'm not going to spend 120, 150, 200 hours in it because that's not my expectation of it. Yeah. So I guess my question to you is what what goes through your mind when you're when you're looking at review scores? How do you kind of like go through like in your head the value of a game based on a reviewer score, whether it's a Metacritic, an IGN, a GameSpot, Game Informer? Like, how do you go about making your decision? You know, I think it's tricky. Um, we have a busted idea of how review scores actually work because of school, because in the United States, if you're an international listener here, uh, and our analytics say you might be in the United States, 
basically we have a 10 point scale where one through five is an F, which is a failure, which is like not acceptable. A six or like between 59.9% and 69.9%. That is a D, also unacceptable. The next level up on a seven is a C, which is supposedly supposed to be average. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people also see like a C as not a very good grade. A B is an eight or an 80, uh, which is, you know, acceptable. Nine is an A and 10 or 100 is, you know, perfect. So when we look at scores like this, oftentimes in our tiny little American brains, we throw away anything that does not get at least an 80 is trash. And that's because of just the way that our brains work and the way that uh, we have been sort of like trained into understanding these these types of scores. So I know for me, if I saw six, I would probably be like, ooh, hey. But you read the review and you say like, oh, no, this guy thinks it's fine. It's, it's all right. It's just not like really exceptional. And now that I have done some reviews and given scores to games, it's that same sort of thing where it's like, how does it grab you? There's no way to really answer like, there's no cookie cutter way to say what score does a game get. Um, I gave Call of the Sea a six, I think, or maybe a six point five, and that was—I uh, don't know if we ever talked about it on the show. It's like a point-and-click puzzle em up where you're in the South Pacific in like the 1930s. Um, it's not a point-and-click; it's like a first-person adventure. In, Sounds lovely, uh, uh, though, actually, the way you described it without the, <laughs> the, the horrors that underlie it. But at the end of the day, I, I just didn't like it very much. But I could also say, like, you know, I didn't like this, but, like, this part was good and this part was good, like, fine, like, serviceable. So at the end of the day, a six and a half, I don't think is a horrible score for that game. Because the opposite of saying, you know, some people might have really liked it, but if what I would probably give it if I were grading it on the American grading system scale that we have, I would probably give it like a 70 as opposed to a 60 because it was passable. It was fine. It wasn't a D in the way that my brain is conditioned to think a D is like an, a 60% is. So to answer your question about like, how do I go about like reading a review like that? I try and not look at the score. If I'm going to read a whole review until the very end, so I can say and try and add up like, OK, well, they liked this, but they didn't necessarily like this and, and all that sort of stuff. I think when it starts to when I start to think about looking at a review, I have to start thinking about the company that I'm getting the review from and what sort of relationship that place might have with the publisher. And I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm not trying to be one of those people who's like games journalists because, hey, guess what? That's me. Um, but like. There are some um, there are some outlets, I think, that are maybe less than inclined to give any real criticism to a game because they want to keep a good relationship with the publisher. So for a game like this or for a really mainstream title, I typically am trying to look at a less um, mainstream site just to really get an understanding of like the person who's writing this probably has no relationship with the people who made it. A lot of people, when I was writing reviews for DualShockers, were like, oh my gosh, this Sony fanboy. And it's like, Sony don't give a fuck about me. And like, <laughs> like, they don't know me. They don't care about me. I don't have a relationship with them at all. This is just my opinion. So that's when I typically go, where I go for, for that sort of thing. But at the same time, also, like, I don't know, 
I think an IGN review of Mario Golf Waluigi Returns or whatever it was called is like going to give you a general understanding of what the game is like. So like, I, I don't know. I think I just talked in a circle for like three minutes here, but uh, how do you go about re- reading these sorts of things? Like, what do you, do you agree with anything I said there or what's up? I love how you start off with the, um, our, our view as Americans, um, about grades and ranks and reviews are messed up. I'm a teacher, right? So, uh, it's hard to, <laughs> at, at the, the school where I teach and a lot of schools, and it's not just exclusive to me, um, we have to like, try to like explain grades to people, uh, like parents specifically, like when when I'm giving someone an F on something, that's like a 50%. If I give them a zero on something, that like disproportionately makes their grade bad because a zero versus a 50 are very different numbers, right? They're, they're like, like overall grade? Sig- yeah, they're okay. overall grade. So if, if someone does an assignment and they do the worst job on it, they turn it in, you get, an, you get a 50% on it, right? But they've turned mm-hmm. it in. They don't turn it in. They get a zero. Yeah. Right. Like that means you get 50 points for doing nothing, but barely turning in something. You get 50 points for turning it in. So a lot of people are saying that, well, it's not fair then that you're giving people zeros in the grade book because it's not impacting their grade because we don't grade on a 20 point system. We grade on a 10 point system and a 20 point system would be like uh, an F is zero to 20. Uh, a, a D is a 20 to 40. A C is 60 to eight. Uh, you know, you know, like the uh, increments of yes. 20 points. Um, so we, instead of like changing how the 100 point grade system works, what schools have now done is basically we can't give a zero to a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. The default grade, if they don't turn something in, is something called a Z5, which is a 50%. So mm-hmm. you have kids who don't turn something in and get a 50%, and you have kids who turn something in, but it's bad and don't try, and they get the same grade, right? Yeah. Um, but that more proportionally tells the person how like well a student is doing in the content, not if they are like just lazy and don't want to turn in an assignment, right? Right, yeah. This is a fundamental thing from kindergarten to college that people – in America specifically, have to deal with. Like, this is how Mm -hmm. we view grades, that a 50% is the worst you can do. So seeing that something got a 60%, they are so close to being the worst thing they could possibly be, right? But that's not how the video game system works. That's not how grades work. That's not how the review works. So the... I think even like it's more messed up when you're looking at like a three star out of five, like that's an okay game. But when you're looking at that, like a 60%, a three out of five game. "Ah." Right, yeah. Right? Um, so I think like a lot of video game reviewers always talk about like, we, let's not put a score on something. We shouldn't put a score on something. And I agree to that to a point. I think the score itself is an important thing. So I can internalize like a comparison, like Peter, you like this game. You say to you, this game's an 80, but, but this game is a, is a 40 that helps me understand your rating system. Um, but a reviewer for most of these people for IGN, uh, Simon Cardi. One person, right? <laughs> that, that's his right. opinion on it. And what, one thing I love, and I don't know if this is an intentional thing by IGN, but uh, Simon Cardi has been on several podcasts that I listen to. He's been on Kind of Funny. He's been on Nintendo Voice Chat, which normally he doesn't uh, uh, isn't a member of. Um, so hearing him talk about the game 
aside from his review, is really making you understand the kind of gamer he is. Mm-hmm. One of the first things they did in the IGN review is they show him playing a Mario Golf game, like an old Mario Golf game. They have a picture of him to show that he's a fan, right? So you yeah. watch this review, you read his words, you see that this is clearly a fan of Mario Golf, and he gives it a six. You know, like, maybe that's not what I would give the game, but, like, to him, to a fan, to, to what he wrote and what he thought and what he played, it's a six to him. And I think it's important to understand the context in a review. And when I listen to a review, when I want to like find out if I want to play a game, I want to hear someone that I know, that I've heard talk, that I know what they play, uh, because that gives me a full idea of what that person will like. Let's be honest. You and me, we're very different gamers. What you yeah. like and what I like are very different things. So if I go and tell you that Mario Golf is a 10 and you tell me it's a 6, like based on our opinions, like based on how we play video games and what we like about video games, like that is just something that is how we haven't interpreted or played the game, what we thought about it, what our own preferences are. Like, I mean, we didn't even, we agreed on the game of the year, obviously, and being uh, last year, uh, being Last of Us Part Two, but mm-hmm. like, not everyone agrees on that. <laughs> you know what no. I mean? Like there's so many, you, our top 10 list, I think we had 18 games or something right. along that line. Yeah, we we shared. We had two that were the same, on there. Like right, and that's it. Right. So like, a review is important. Metacritic is important, but because someone thinks it's a six, doesn't mean you can't think of it's a nine. And one of the things that Simon Carty even said was he was talking with uh, it was uh, on Nintendo Voice Chat this week. He was talking to um, the uh, person who made Doki Doki Literature Club. And he was saying how he just likes playing, like he plays the NES golf game and he likes playing that. And to him, he's just looking for a good golf game that he can play with his friends. And Simon was like, you probably like this game. I wasn't looking for that personally, but you might like this. You might like this game way more than I did. So, I mean, take reviews with a grain of salt, but it's always more than just saying read it. It's know the person who's writing the review and try to understand why they said something like that because... Uh, there's not a single review that's going to cover everyone's opinion. Well, and I think that an important thing for doing a review, because, you know, not everyone, not every reviewer you're going to read from has a super huge log of written reviews. So, like, a good review will give you the context you need about what a person likes to understand whether... Like, like how the game lands for them. If I wrote a review about Mario Golf, I would probably talk about how I don't really like golf and i don't really like sports games yeah and 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 so like if i end up saying like and so i didn't end up really liking this one either a a list a reader or whatever would be able to say like okay well this probably just wasn't a game that he was gonna like anyway so you know let's look for someone who who loves mario golf or right you know what i'm saying whereas someone who if let's say you don't like golf and you don't like sports games if you read my review and you're like is like I don't really like golf. I don't really like sports. Uh, am I going to be into this game? The answer is no. You know, and, and I, I think it's hard because like, obviously a review is just someone's opinion, but I think we build up a lot of platforms as if they have one internal voice and not like they are a bunch of people saying their opinions. Right? So when you go to IGN, you, you might get a mixed bag of who's going to like what. And that's okay because it's just people's opinions. And, and the tough thing about a exactly. score, the tough thing about a score, I think, is that like 
at the end of the day, that's what a lot of people are going to read. And that's it. Right. And a score yeah. one to 10 or let's say one to 20, if we're on a 20 point scale or however you want to do it is like not conducive of an entire experience. Because as we are saying about this Mario golf, the golfing review, like this guy liked some parts of it and he thinks some parts of it are good. It's just that like you can't convey nuance like that in a number, you know? And even like thinking if I'm going to give a, a, a review to a game like Judgment, my first 10 hours with that game, a significant amount of time would probably mm-hmm. be like a six or a seven, while mm-hmm. my latter 10 hours would probably be closer to an eight or a nine. Right. Yeah. And even if I, I end up saying like this game is a clear eight to me, that doesn't take away the fact that the first part of the game sucks. You know, like it's just it's an arbitrary number of me trying to tell you what I like about the game and how I experience the game. So reviews are important. I think I don't want to to talk down that a review is not an important thing. And these scores aren't important because good scores can make or break a game. Days gone. Perfect example of that. IGN was also involved in that one (laughs) to a certain point with how much with their score on that. But um, it's always more so than just a single number to tell what is a good game and what is a bad game. Yeah, it's it's tiring. <laughs> and, and I hope like if it's not clear <laughs> in the conversation that we just had, if you're listening to this, we are both on the side of this reviewer. <laughs> like it's his opinion. Like it doesn't matter. And what some guy thinks of a game that you might may or may not like uh, doesn't actually matter and doesn't actually impact if you like it or not. Um I think we should stop doing numbered reviews to the public. And I think you should just send your score to Metacritic. And I think Metacritic should just be like, it's an 80. That's what the collective, you know, thing was. And so that way you can look at that and say like, okay, so generally people liked it or okay. Generally people didn't like it. And then um, from there, uh, you just have to go find a reviewer you, you trust, find someone you like. Could be us. And we hope we're those people for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know we what talk I mean? about games. Yeah. I mean like, even like, thinking about scarlet nexus like there's some stuff i like in there some stuff i don't like in there but at the end of the day i'd probably say i'm positive on it just if i had to put a number on it yeah uh, my 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 uh review score for the demo um is a uh 7.5 so i i made up that number right now based on uh just p- needing to put an arbitrary number on top of my feelings for that demo but what what you can always count on dear listener um is the tried and true <laughs> review score of is it better than the medium i would say yes justin so far the demo what do you oh think? yeah better yeah. than the medium scarlet nexus is better than the medium yeah yeah there's like yeah <laughs> maybe that's what yo ign <laughs> mario golf time uh better than the medium probably right i mean like i would probably like mario golf better than the medium i would probably have more fun playing mario golf than i had playing the medium i don't know about that man I don't know. Having never played Mario Golf, and I'm going to make a very informed opinion on this, I'm going to just say right now, the medium is better than Mario Golf. And that's and that's fine. That's that's fine. I'll say this. <laughs> I would rather I would rather play a game that's a one or a two on this on the review scale than play a game that's a five or a six. Would you yeah, agree? I w- if I'm going to play a bad game, I want to play the worst. <laughs> Because, like, to me, like, the medium was, like, a five or a six. And it's just, like, to me, not super interesting. Like, like I didn't hate it. It was just, like, 
bore uninteresting to me. I would have rather that game just be fucking atrocious. <laughs> like I love, I don't know. I stopped doing this cause I value my time more and I don't have enough time to play games like this anymore. But I loved in high school going and buying used terrible games for like $2 at GameStop. Like, Aliens Colonial Marines or Sonic 06 or Duke Nukem Forever just to see, like, what happened to this game? <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, uh, Balin Wonderworld I saw for $20 uh, this yeah, weekend. Almost bought it. Almost bought it. Justin, there's people who love you. <laughs> don't, don't do it. So here's, here's another small story um, sort of in the falling action after that. Mass Effect. Are you familiar? <laughs> is that the one? Is that the one with the blue people? The blue people, and then they they have sex with the uh, with the people who aren't blue. Sometimes. Are you referring to Avatar with the ponytails? No. no. Uh, wow. Uh, what came first, Mass Effect or Avatar? Questions. Um, I need Avatar was two thousand nine. Right Mass Effect was two thousand eight. So Mass Effect. But okay, which was so conceived just saying first. it right now. Liara. Liara over any one of those other uh, those avatars, you know what I mean? Over Zoe Saldana, yeah, I bet I paid far too much money what? for okay. a, a pre-order of a Liara I, statue. We're not going to have a Zoe Saldana debate right now, but Zoe Saldana playing an avatar, I'd rather with the Liara. You know what I mean? I don't think I can have this conversation with you. Um, I just on a recorded. <laughs> we we'll talk after. Um. <laughs> So, Mass Effect, uh, as you may or may not know, I'm going to assume that you do, a very, very story-driven video game, a uh, very choice-based video game uh, revolving around, basically, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, a, it's one of those early choice-based games where it's like, you don't really have that many choices. It's like, are you going to be a good guy or a bad guy? Like, make your pick. But... <laughs> As is the case with many like AAA video game franchises, there was like a movie in the works at one point or another. So, like different studios have said, uh, and it just like didn't happen. And so I think this is actually kind of interesting. This is by Eddie McCooch from GameSpot. This is a, an article titled "Bioware on Why the Mass Effect Movie Stalled and How a TV Show Might Be Better." This is a quotation from. Mac Walters, someone who uh, was one of the original writers for Bioware and, and for the original Mass Effect, sort of told Insider, he said this, uh, it felt like we were always fighting the IP. What stories are we going to tell in 90 to 120 minutes? Are we going to do it justice? And then he sort of goes on to say, I just never picked up again after that, not for lack of trying, uh, referring to when the... Um, studio said that maybe instead of doing a movie, we're going to do this as a TV show. Now, Justin... Would you like do you think Mass Effect would work as a movie? Cuz to me like my flat out answer is just no. But I also don't know if it's going to work it would work as TV either. I I think it, it this th there's a reason that video game movies don't work. Uh yeah. because video games you have, you know, even like some more simplistic story-based video games. You have 5 hours to in the case of Last of Us Part 2, 35 hours to develop characters, to develop a story, to slowly go through things. The good story-based games, you're not just, you know, having a cutscene for five seconds and then playing some combat encounter. All that stuff is we woven together in ways that you can't do in, like, just a simple movie. Yeah. Uh, and kind of develop that story. 
Uh, so video game movies have to take these large stories and cut them down and really focus them in ways that you skip a bunch. You don't you, you miss character connections there. You'd have to cut so much out of a Mass yeah. Effect movie. If they would just cut out one character from Mass Effect 1. Like, say, for example, they're like, you know what, Ashley, people don't really like her. We're just going to cut out Ashley. I bet you someone out there in the world likes Ashley the most. And right. that would make that person mad. And that's one character that most people don't like anyway. You start having to make other sacrifices, cutting down other stuff, shortening other stuff. And that it would just make a movie that's based off of, you know, hours and hours and hours of developing backstory, lore, all that stuff. It just wouldn't work. Yeah. Um, I, I think something like uh, an HBO series, I think Game of Thrones was something that proved that in the first season specifically, it's not the budget that makes something epic or not. It is the amount of time you spend on character development and making you care about the world. The first few seasons of Game of Thrones are hard to watch in terms of its production quality. Like some of those first fight scenes that you see with Ned Stark versus like, you know, like everyone else, like it's horrible, right? They're not okay. great fight scenes, but like it doesn't matter because you're getting to know these characters in such a deep way and such a nice way that you get invested because of the characters, not because of the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I think that if you spend that kind of time developing the Mass Effect world, developing a Commander Shepard, developing their interactions, uh, developing all that stuff, that works better for this world because this is not like the action stuff in this in this is is good. But I still think the thing that people remember about Mass Effect, the thing that makes Mass Effect amazing, are the character interactions, are yeah. the characters are the lore is everything around just the the combat because i think i think the mass effect combat is average at best uh but everything else around that is top quality stuff so um i totally understand like why they try to scrap the movie i also understand why they try to make a movie first um are you a big star trek fan um no i wouldn't say i'm a big star trek fan i would say that i have a passing familiarity with it and i saw those recent movies the first two i didn't see the third one i think star trek works in a, in a way um it worked specifically when, when star trek first came out like the low budget helped it <laughs> right. you know what it's i mean like charm. You, yeah. you didn't necessarily yeah and it really forced people to to focus or, or the the creators to focus on the characters and them having these really complex interactions with other alien races with like you know like yeah. there's there's so much interesting stuff that they had to develop because they were forced to not just simply do crazy uh cg things every 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 chance they could uh that's what makes that lore so interesting um so I think you could come up with a pretty, like, not ridiculously budgeted HBO series based around something like Mass Effect, and I think that would be good. Um, will it Will it ever happen? I, eh, who knows? I, I would like to see it. <laughs> I don't think it should. Sorry, that's my perhaps unpopular opinion and here's why and and while i do agree that it would probably be better as a series than a show because it's like it's not a it's not a 90 minute story it's not a 120 minute story uh, i was listening to um conan o'brien's podcast he actually he has a really good podcast um conan o'brien has a friend and i was listening to an episode with brian cranston and brian cranston was talking about why breaking bad works 
as a TV show as opposed to why it wouldn't be a very good movie. And he talks about like, because you see the transition in night in, in a feature film, you've got 90 to 120 minutes to have a character go from one person to another. Whereas a TV show, you get to sort of plot that out over multiple seasons, which I think is kind of cool. Um, and, and it's, it was an aspect of like filmmaking versus TV show making that I didn't really appreciate. So I do think that like a game like Mass Effect would translate to a show better, but I think that because people, because it is so based in like, what are you going to choose? I think people really want to, people have an idea of who Commander Shepard is in their head. And similar to like, okay, if they say we're going to cut Ashley, like you get a bunch of people being like, Ashley's incredible. And that's a character that's like not that popular and like a space racist. And those are the people you delete from your Facebook accounts. You know, you don't want to be their friends. (laughs) Correct. If you, if they make a like a canonical choice being like, we're doing a series where Shepard is a good guy. Like, uh, okay, well then all the people who like to play him as renegade are gone or like, okay, well then the people who made that choice differently, uh, you know, might not be super happy or might be less invested or, you know, whatever. Something cool though, actually that I just thought of is what if they did a show where every other episode was the story. And then mm, let me say it like this. You get one episode where it's like one situation and he does it Paragon. And then you get the next episode is the same thing, same situation, but he does a renegade. That actually be kind of cool. And then you like follow how, how vastly different those two storylines get towards the end. Um, just a thought HBO, I have a degree in writing, so, um, I can help you out with that, but I, I do actually, I do believe that just because Uh, like HBO, I would have had a degree in writing, except I didn't want to take the extra two credit classes to do it. So he made, uh, HBO, he made a much smarter decision, uh, way more practical with his degree, uh, very, very employable, uh, not important, but I, I will say that like jokes aside at the end of the day, I do think that like, there's a reason that video games are a separate medium from things like TV and movies. Do I think that last of a show is going to be pretty good? Yeah. Because I think those games, like I'm not like, I think it's reductive to say it's like, Oh, it's just like a movie or whatever. I just think there, it's a very, it's a very watchable video game. The last of us. And like a lot of those naughty dog or even a lot of those other, uh, Sony first party games, they're just very watchable. Um, so, so, I think that'll probably be fine. But by and large, I would say that the reason that video game movies don't work is because video games are just a completely different genre. It's like, have you ever read a book adaptation of a movie? Because it's not very good, usually. Yeah, I think, I think, the, yeah, I think, vi- I've said this before, video games are an amazing thing that um, you can't just like, it's an emerging medium. That is unique. There are things you can do in video games that you can't do anywhere else. And yep. that video games have an ability to tell stories that um, other mediums cannot. And while I think you could have Mass Effect set in a, like a, a movie or TV show set in the Mass Effect world, I think if you try to recreate Mass Effect exactly point for point, beat for beat in a movie, in a TV show that's where people aren't going to be happy with it. Right. Um, and I think the point that you're talking about, one of the most simple differences between a video game and uh, a movie or a TV show uh, is the, at least sometimes, illusion of choice that you have as mm-hmm. a gamer and how your actions do matter, how you want to interact with a game matters, who you want to befriend matters in Mass Effect. Some people love Garrus. 
I'm fine without ever talking to that bug man again. Some people, <laughs> um, you know, you know, like there, there's so many different like yeah. ways that we can experience a game um, that it just makes it such a special and unique medium. And of course, I would love to see uh, a Game of Thrones like Mass Effect uh, r- r- movie show, whatever. Um, but does it need to be there? I don't think it needs to be there. I just I want to be in that world more. I'll put on my swim trunks, what? dive into it. Is, oh, okay, got it. I was like, I was like, is there like a swimming section in Mass Effect that I just <laughs> haven't gotten to? Maybe it's one of the DLCs that I haven't played yet. Uh, it, I actually, I, I think oh, the that, party scene. Keep, I keep waiting. Mass Effect Three I party know, scene. I know. I know. I think that weirdly enough despite not being a visual medium, I think that books are closer to video games because, and and this is just, if I may peel back the curtain a little bit to what I like about video games is one of my favorite things about video games is understanding the way that a game can tell someone's perspective. And this is one of the reasons I like the last of us part two so much is that a game, because you are by the very nature of controlling an avatar or playing in first person or whatever, uh, warps the perspective of what is happening. So playing as, uh, you know, whoever in Bioshock, uh, uh, the main character, the first one's name is Jack. Is that right? It was generic. I was going to say Booker DeWitt, but that's No, that's infinite. But I mean, like playing as as, uh, the guy in Bioshock, like because you're in first person perspective, you are him. If it were a book, Bioshock would use I, not he. So I did this. And then so the t- the reason that twist is so good is because you said, do I really have choice? I don't because it's a video game because it's railroading me. But in the narrative, it works. W- it works with the narrative to say, like, this is why you were doing that, which I think is cool. And you couldn't do that in a movie, but you could sort of do it in a book. Right. It would just be a little bit different. Uh, and then the same thing, like third person video games, third person books, books told in third person, like have a similar interesting way that they can have people use perspective and, and things like that. So I think that weirdly enough, they are more similar to books than they are to movies, but that's just because of the way we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive characters. And going off of that with that logic, which I agree with, that means Elden Ring's going to be pretty damn awesome because if you have George railroad Martin writing lore for that game, uh, Probably gonna be a pretty good story. I hope maybe. I maybe, don't know. I don't, people have told me that the Dark Souls story and lore is good, but I don't. Hey, uh, tell it to me. Don't make me read item descriptions in loading screens because pretty soon Elden Ring loading <laughs> screens aren't gonna be a thing anymore. Yeah, they like doing that, don't they? Will I kill you? Yeah. <laughs> and then. And then their like face is still like just a cardboard cutout as they're like trying to like talk to you because they don't really yeah they don't really move that models. much no yeah yeah I would th- yeah. I've been thinking about like returning yeah. to those games like Bloodborne specifically because that's the one that like I have not put any time into and it's just like I want to I want to have fun I'm gonna go play Scarlet Nexus you could throw a bus you could throw a little bike bice oh my gosh you could throw a little bicycle around that's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially if there's what? a child on it, right? What, Justin? Why'd you go this way? What have you done? I think that, I think that's a cue to end the show. Hey, everyone! <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to Hitbox episode uh, thirty-eight, thirty-nine, thirty-eight, Four, forty-eight, forty-eight. Excuse 48. me. Forty-eight. Yes, you're right. Thir- forty-eight. Um, 
man, these forties are just flying by, but I'm I'm having fun. Uh, you Ooh, can find man, us. Mean, I'll be retired before you know it. I know. Uh, time doesn't stop, and it's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs> oh no, that's uh, a conversation. We'll, we can talk after air. the podcast yeah, if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that, and then whatever that other thing was that we were talking about at Liara versus Zoe Saldana in Avatar. I think. Uh, speaking of which, we're going to talk about that game eventually. Um, I don't know about you, Justin. That Avatar game giving me real Lord of the Rings Gollum vibes. <laughs> Just <laughs> a video game adaptation. Are the Asari of a- in it though? Uh, probably. I'm gonna say no because it's Avatar. <laughs> I like mm. Elena called Liara's hair. Uh, like you know how she has like tentacles on her head. She's like, oh, I like her space hair. And I was like, that hair. Yeah. I was like, kind of looks like fleshy. Are they tied back or do they just do they just like hang that way? I, I was like also think about that. Yeah, I was also thinking about this. Uh, Liara has like eyebrows like drawn on. But, like, a lot of the other Asari don't have those eyebrows. So I think at a certain point, I like to think about this. At a certain point, Bioware uh, looked at her and was like, yo, you got to give her eyebrows. (laughs) Like, But then they were like, well, all the other Asari models don't have eyebrows. Like, yeah, but you got to give, like, the companion one some eyebrows because, like, it's hard to tell that emotion. Um, I like thinking about the design of characters. I just like to think... I like to think about like Liara just going to Sephora and like just being like, I gotta, I gotta change. <laughs> they have some beautiful complexion, the Asari and the different colored ones. I, I love the, I love the sci-fi world that Bioware has whisking me away on. I'm enjoying Mass Effect 2 immensely. Um, I think I was trying to wrap up the show and then we were just talking about Mass Effect. <laughs> if you, uh, if I'm just you trying to get any- you on the Liara versus uh, Avatar. <laughs> It's probably Liara. I'm going to say it's probably Liara, although I have a good ponytail now. All right. Not quite as long as it should be for that. It doesn't matter. Uh, If Listen, if you want to talk about Liara versus the Asari, uh, you can send me an email at – here's my personal email. Just kidding. It's the Hitbox email, hitboxofficialpodcast at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, send us a message there, tweet at us at hitbox – Hitbox Pod, excuse me. Uh, we, we would love to know your thoughts on really anything. We talked about review scores, uh, Asari versus Liara. No, uh, Asari versus the Navi was what they were called from Avatar. Yeah, you can, you can let us know. You can let us know there. You can also follow us both on Twitter. Our Twitter ats are in the bio of this episode. Um, Justin, do you have anything else to say before we wrap up here? Uh, all I'm going to say is that Mario Golf, not as good as the medium. <laughs> That's fine. You know, I said that it probably would be better in my books. I have no real feelings either way. I don't think I'm going to play that game. I've been burned by Mario too many times. I'm just kidding. He's he's fun. I liked Bowser's Fury quite a bit. By that fire flower. Ah, and that is how you end an episode. We'll catch you next time. Always remember, old games are old. See you later. Bye. <laughs>